Morning. You guys all right? Amazing. Wasn't it an awesome time yesterday for those who were there? Wasn't it incredible? Uh, just to be able to, just a privilege to see Mark and Nen, uh, yeah, pledge their lives together. It was incredible. Really moving. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to be carrying on our series on Esther. Uh, so for those who haven't been here for the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Esther, uh, two chapters at a time. So the first week, Tom looked at chapters one and two, then Dunk looked at chapters three and four, and then if you've got the next bit, I'm doing five and six. Um, so I, I, but if you haven't been here, I just wanted to give you a brief little uh, look back at the last bits of Esther just to catch you up if you haven't been there. So there's going to be a map on the board, which I stole from Tom because it's a really good map. And it just shows where we are going to be for the next uh, sort of couple of weeks. Uh, so that is where we're going to take place in Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire of the time, which is in modern-day Iran. So just keep that in your mind, because cultural things will look slightly different. Uh, that's the thing about the Bible. It was written in a different culture. They're not all English, as much as we try and pretend like they were. They don't have English culture. We've got to put um, cultural views on. So the Queen's... There's the story so far. The queen of King Xerxes at the time, Vashti, falls from grace, meaning that Xerxes is looking for a new wife. So he starts scouring around, and eventually Esther, who's the hero, the heroine of our story, um, finds favor in the eyes of all because she is drop-dead gorgeous, and she knows that God is behind her. During the time, at uh, the same time that Esther's rising up, Mordecai, who's the cousin of Esther, discovers a plot to kill the king. And as soon as he hears that, he rushes to Esther. Esther tells the king and the men who were going to kill him were arrested and hanged. At the same time, we've got a guy called Haman. Now, Haman is the villain of our story. Um, I tempted being like, you know, whenever I say the word Haman, everyone goes, boo. So we can't do that if you want. So Haman, amazing, is the villain of our story. And so he rises to power, and he becomes the second most powerful man in Persia at the time, only under King Xerxes. And he walks through the palace, and everybody bows down to him except one man, and that's Mordecai. Because Mordecai is a Jew, and he only bows before God. So Haman decides... Boo! Thank you, Tom. <laughs> so Haman... <laughs> decides um, that he wants to destroy the Jewish people. And so that is his goal that he goes to. So last week we saw um, how Mordecai tore his clothes and went in sackcloth and ashes and lamented before God. Um, and then how Esther was tasked by Mordecai to go unannounced to the king's throne room. And that's where we get up today. And so today's story follows on from there. And one of the parts of today's story is that somebody, and I won't say who, gets a bit of humbling. Gets a bit of humbling and humiliation. And I thought, what is the best way to show humbling and humiliation than a messy game? <laughs> so that's why the tarpaulin is here, because, as Dunk said, we care about our carpets. And so, yeah, I'm going to look some volunteers. Who wants to take part in a messy game? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. Okay, you two. Can I grab you two? And... Ooh, can I grab Nick Hamper, please? Rachel Muir. Rachel Muir is always up for a messy game. Come on, Rach. Incredible. Right, can I get you lined up, please? Um, actually, Nick, can you grab over there? We've got some, some specialist equipment for this one. Yeah, give them a cheer as they come up. Incredible. Right. Perfect. So, oh no, he's the, that's not for him. That's for Rachel. Do I get a shower cap? Got some goggles. 
put your goggles on. Perfect. Yeah. Amazing. So, the game is very simple. We have got these. Now, these are just normal cardboard tubes, but when you put them like that, you, can't, you can no longer bend your arm. And so the game is, they have to get a cup of beans, pour it into their mouth, and then spit it in there. You've got two teams. They've got a minute and a half. The team with the highest amount of beans in their bucket, in the, in the jug, wins, OK? So you're putting these on your arms. There'll be two down there. Oh, no, that's, those, are the, those are the ones for the slightly smaller armed people. Amazing. So, James and Nick, do you want to go against Josiah and Rachel? Perfect. You guys over there. Oh, have we got, oh, we've got the spare tubes over there? Perfect. There, and there's yours. Amazing. There are your cups. There are your two cups. As you can see, these are genuine beans. So, you put it up, it's going into your mouth, and then it's being spat into the jug. You've got a minute and a half. If you're smaller and you want to come forward and have a better look, come forward. It's going to be a great sight. Okay. Are we ready? Are we steady? Three. I think you can say that the winners are Nick and James. Well done, guys. Thank you so much. I believe that you have brought spare clothes. If not, you've got a problem, mate. <laughs> Amazing. Right. Perfect. And no, no. <laughs> right. Perfect. Right. That's fine. Wipe your feet on the tarpaulin. Don't get it on the carpet. Chris will not be pleased. <laughs> Amazing. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Very good sports. It's fine. I'll... Oh, oh. <laughs> I've never seen bean juice being squeezed out of a t-shirt before. That's, that's quite a sight, isn't it? It's fine. Rachel. Okay, three, two, one, go. Awesome. Amazing. Yeah, it was a little bit of humiliation. You'll find out later, I suppose. I mean, it links in somewhere, but it's also quite a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> you can tell I do kids and youth work. Um, so chapters five and six. If you've got your Bible, you might want to bring it out and uh, just have a look. We're going to follow the story through. I'm not going to be reading the story sort of line by line. I'm just going to paraphrase as we go. So we left Esther, stood outside the throw room. Uh, she's standing outside. She doesn't know whether she can go in, but she knows she has to because that's what God has got for her. So Esther goes into the throne room, and when you went in, the king would either extend his scepter to you, and that would mean everything was fine, she could approach. But if he didn't, then, well, we saw what happened to Queen Vashti. He's already got through one queen before quite recently. So she goes in, and he extends her scepter, his scepter to her, allowing him allowing her to speak to him. And so Esther cleverly invites the king to a banquet uh, to get him in a good mood, and she invites Haman to the banquet as well. Yep, well done, Pauline, good one. <laughs> and Haman is in a great mood. I don't know if you've ever been invited to a party before. I don't get invited to many, but when I do, I get very excited. And 
So Haman walks out, he's in a great mood, and who does he see sat there but Mordecai? And all of the annoyance, all the anger rushes back into him. And he goes home and he says to his wife, oh, I just want to kill Mordecai. But obviously, I'm loved by the king and queen, because why else would they invite me to a banquet? And his wife and, and his friends do what I'm sure your wives and friends or husbands and friends say to you too, which is, darling, it's all right. Go and build a gallows. Because <laughs> then, when the king decrees it, you can just hang him. Isn't that lovely? Isn't she a supportive wife? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Mordecai, sorry, Haman, boo, goes off and he spends the night making a gallows, which is basically a big sort of wooden structure where, with a hole in the middle and then someone would have a rope and, yeah, you can guess the next bit. Um, but that night, the king can't sleep. So he calls for this book. Now this book has all the memorable deeds that people in the kingdom have done. And when Mordecai saved the king's life, his name was written in the book of memorable deeds. So the king thinks to himself, what can I do? I need to bless this man somehow. I need to honor him. What can I do? And so he goes to his guards and he goes, who's around? Who's got some good ideas? And they say, oh, you know, you know who's just in? Haman's in. Yeah, boo. And so he calls in Haman. And then he says to Haman, I, I'm saying it a lot, maybe we stop the booing for this bit. He says, Haman, I, there's somebody I want to honor. There's somebody I really want to just lift up. He's been a great servant. He's done a lot for this kingdom. I really want to honor him. And Haman goes, yeah, I bet you do. Because obviously Haman thinks he's talking about him. And so Haman goes, well, obviously, for the man who the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden. And on his red head a royal crown is set. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man who the king delights to honor, and they shall lead him through the square, proclaiming, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. So Haman thinks he's just basically been given a ask-what-you-want card. And he thinks, you know what I want? I basically want to become like king. I want to become like the king. I want to be taken through the streets in royal robes. I want to see myself with all of the people bowing before me. And he thinks, you know what? That sounds great. That is what should happen for the man whom the king honors. And then the king says, right, I want you to do that to Mordecai. <laughs> And Haman goes, but he does it because Haman doesn't want to have his head cut off or be hanged. But Haman is just filled with humiliation and rage, much like he just had multiple cans of beans poured on his face, but times a hundred, maybe even a thousand. And he leads Mordecai through the streets 
saying, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Now, sometimes when, when you read the Bible, you can just read things as it is. I don't think he went, thus shall it be done to the man who the king delights to honor. I think it was probably more of a, thus shall it be done to the man who the king delights to honor. I don't think he was particularly into it. But the question I want to ask this morning is, which are you? Are you a Mordecai or are you a Haman? You get this amazing scene where Haman has stood before the king and he's saying, this is what I want. This is my ambition. And that's the thing. When, when someone says to you, what do you want? I can give you anything. That's when your ambition shows, isn't it? When you've got a choice to get whatever you want, that is when the real person comes through. And Haman really shows in that time where his heart is. His heart is on power. His heart is on prestige. And you know what? It's really funny because even though it seems a very odd situation, it's actually pretty normal. There's nothing miraculous. If you read through sort of Esther, the characters, they, they work to what their character does. So just like a normal human being would do. If you were an arrogant person and you were given the chance to do whatever you wanted, you would do that. Haman doesn't suddenly act out of character. Mordecai doesn't act out of character. Nobody acts out of character. But in this, God's work is, and his will is set forth. The king looks favorably on Esther when she comes in. You know, I said earlier, he'd already got through a wife because she didn't follow the commands of the court. He could have very easily not taken the scepter to her and just sent her away. But he didn't. He loved her. And as much as that was his character, God used that. The king can't sleep. That's a sort of recurring thing. If you look in Daniel, the king can't sleep. He's plagued with visions and dreams. Joseph, same thing. God uses those times to put that through. But the question, as I said, I want to ask is, are you a Mordecai or are you a Haman? See, Mordecai, he's humble. But Haman is arrogant. Mordecai is happy to sit at the, the king's gate, waiting for the king. Haman is wanting to be in the, the in, in a clique. He wants to be at the banquets. He wants to be paraded through the streets. But Mordecai is the one who's elevated. Even though Mordecai is a Jew, living in Persian rule, it's not he's there for a laugh, he's not there for a holiday, the Jewish people were captured, taken by the Babylonians, and then when the Persians took over from the Babylonians, they just got passed on. Just being passed on, like, you know, you go and buy something and then you might hand it on to someone else. That's what's happened to his people. But he also doesn't bow to Haman. He works diligently sitting at the king's gate. But it's Mordecai who is elevated. And it's Haman, the one who... I'm honest, puts in, I mean, if you, if you look on the outset of it, Haman does a lot of the work in terms of in the Persian Empire. He's a very powerful man. He does a lot of work. But he's arrogant. His heart is in the wrong place. His heart is set on the destruction of the Jewish people, the people who God said, these are my people. And because of that, Haman is humiliated. And it just gets worse for him. 
For Haman, it goes like this. He goes up, he gets the power. He gets this little dip there, which is rather humiliating, and then he just plummets. But I won't go into that because I'm spoiling Sam's sermon. Although if you've read Esther, I'm probably not. But at this point, because at this point, Haman, it just came to mind that Haman had already told his friends about Mordecai. Haman had already gone back to his friends and family and gone, I, you know, this is the man I'm going to destroy. And then the next day, he then has to lead that same man throughout the street saying, this is what happens to the man who the king is delighted in. It's just humiliating and embarrassing for Haman. But he's humbled, and God humbles the proud, and he elevates the weak. In the parable of the laborers in the vineyard in Matthew 20, you see that some of the uh, laborers who were there first, they feel entitled to what the owner gave them. They feel like what the payment that they're given is theirs, and they are completely entitled to them. They are arrogant over the laborers who come later. But Jesus says, so the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. This, this backwards thing in the kingdom of God that actually those who are proud are humbled, and those who are weak and in need of, of support are raised up and elevated. And he speaks to the disciples in that. That's partly speaking to the disciples. You know, don't belittle those who come after just because you were the first. And sometimes we can feel like that, you know, oh, well, I've been at Christchurch for 20 years. 20 years? And you only arrived here last year. What do you know? Sometimes we can act like that. I remember I was, um, I've been part of clubs before where that's the case. You know, oh, you, how can you, you don't know. You only got here a year ago. I've been here since it began. We need to be careful, guys, that in church we don't become like that. We don't become proud in what we're doing. We don't become proud in the, the gifts that we're given by God, the opportunities we're given in church, that actually those things we're meant to honor and treasure. And I can get to that point. I can get to that point. I'll happily hold my hand up and say that I, you know, proud, pride is something that I struggle with and I will struggle with. And it's something that I need to lay down at the foot of the cross daily because I don't want to be a proud person who's humbled by Jesus. I want to be a weak person who's strengthened by him. And is there any other better example of humility than this? Philippians 2. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And sometimes we stop there. But just like Mordecai was elevated, points to a greater elevation. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus humbled himself. If you don't know the, the name of Jesus this morning, you don't know the person of Jesus, Jesus is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Savior of the world. 
yet he humbled himself for you. Those are the two things you need to know about Jesus. He is worthy of all honor and glory and praise because he is God, but he humbled himself for you. And he is sat, exalted on high, partitioning on your behalf right now. When we mess up, when we do things, he is there at the right hand of the Father looking after us. And the question I want to leave you with is, is he exalted in your life? Is he exalted? Is he number one in your life? If you don't know him at all, and you, you, maybe this is the first time you've heard of Jesus, maybe you've heard of him many times, but actually it's not really meant much to you. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he deserves to be number one in your life because he has died for your sin. If you know Jesus, sometimes we can get it the wrong way around, can't we? Sometimes we can look at the things that we're doing and we can... We can raise them above him in our lives. That's wrong. Jesus is the number one thing in your life. Can I just have the band to come up? Just wondering if everyone could stand. And just close your eyes. It's a personal thing. We're not going to Make you come to the front this time. You know, it's, it's just between you and God because that's all it has to be. And if you're, if you're here today and you, you don't know Jesus, you, you wouldn't say, if you were to, someone was to say to you, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And have you given your life to him? Not have I been to church before or not. Do I know about someone called Jesus? Have you given your life to him? If you would say no to that question, then you have an opportunity today to give your life to him for the very first time. It's the best decision that you will ever make, and it's the only decision that matters. So if that's you right now, just pray in your head, God, I want to know you. Jesus, I want to know more about you, and I want to give my life to you because you died for me. And if you're a Christian here today, and you have been, maybe for many years, maybe what I said about someone who'd been at Christchurch for 20 years, maybe that's not specifically 20, but a long time, maybe that's something in, that, you know, puts something in your heart, actually. Sometimes I'm a bit like that. But is there other things that you've put above God in your life? Have you started to become a bit of a Haman? Have you started to go after the things of this world, the banquets, the feasts? The, the wealth, the power, the prestige? Are you willing to be humbled by a king who is then going to elevate you with him, but with him, not on your watch, on his? Just have a couple of seconds. Lord, is that me? Do I need to do something? Lord, I want to put you first in my life. 